Isn't God good? That's right. Truly all the time. It's not, that's not just Christianese, right? It really is a truth that we need to constantly remember. And in fact, uh, I believe that that's part of what God wants to remind us of today. Now, last week, we looked at the story from 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and this, so this will be a part two. Uh, we were looking at, at how Jehoshaphat uh, is the king of Judah. It's the southern half of Israel, and he has a choice to make. Everybody say Jehoshaphat had a choice to make. Try to say that 10 times fast. <laughs> Jehoshaphat had a choice to make. Now, the Bible, I love that. I've been just meditating on this thought all week, how it doesn't even break the verse. He was in fear, but then he called on the Lord. And it was an impossible, unavoidable situation in his life. You know, sometimes in your life, you will have things come that are impossible, they're unavoidable, and there's nothing in the natural that you can do about it. And what we need to do in that time is do exactly what Jehoshaphat did and what the people did. We're going to look into that a little bit deeper, and we're going to move into some more revelation today. But I firstly want to say this, that there have been confirmations this week. It's unbelievable. I'm just like blown away. Dawn was already listening to and meditating on some things before I even started it. And she had kind of told us about it, but didn't really get into the depths of it. And then come to find out it's this exact thing. And then this preacher's saying it and that preacher's saying it, right? Rick's sending us things. Jeannie's sending us things this week. A lot of confirmation. A lot. I can't, I really, I can't believe it because uh, sometimes... Um, you've heard me say this many, many times, but as a preacher, you know, you open the word, you say, okay, Lord, what do you want to speak? And you might think, well, uh, all you have to do is just, you know, start breaking down uh, whatever he's telling you and make it so it's easy to tell at the, uh, from the pulpit, right? <laughs> but it's not so simple. Um, it's a big book, and there's uh, people here uh, and, and there is this dynamic of it being uh, tons and tons of information, but being relevant and spiritual today, amen, that you don't want to just bring information. So there's a lot that I could bring, and, it's, uh, and I could preach on so many different things, right, because it's such a big word, and there's so much truth in there. But what does God have for us right in here? And so sometimes the Lord really confirms it beforehand. I love that. And sometimes you're just like, well, this is what I believe the Lord's saying. I don't know, but I know it's his word, and I know it's good. I know it's truth. This is what I'm going to bring, Lord, and hopefully I'm hearing that it's you. And if we get it wrong, the Lord's not going to judge us because we still brought the word. We kept it truth. Amen, right? But I love, 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 love when it is so confirmed, it's just shocking. And in fact, it's much, it's actually a, a, an amazing testimony that God is in his body, that he's speaking to us, that we are one. And also for me as a preacher, that it's really not about me whatsoever, because I didn't have doves floating around my room at the time when I was studying. 
you know, just dropping trinkets of word, you know, say this and then say this, and this will really get them next. You just breaking down the word, and it really shows me that, wow, God, you truly are in control. You are the one really speaking. Now, does that mean every single word that comes out of my mouth is him? You know, there is a, a still a human vessel. There's opinion, so I always try to repent of those. If I feel like I've got too much in me, too much opinion, I'm repenting privately, but I always tell you, hey, I think this is opinion beforehand, but the point is that the Lord is speaking, isn't he? Amen. And he is confirming to us uh, actually a, a tremendous gift to us for this hour. We are in uh, still, we are still in a time that started just a couple of years ago, and we've been in tumultuous times for forever. Technically, you could say we've been in tumultuous times for 6,000 years, you know, since sin, we've been in tumultuous times. Or you could say since Christ, we've been in tough times, right? So you could keep going. But I believe, um, especially for our lives here on the earth, uh, since 2020 has something, some things have changed, haven't they? You know, since this 2020 era we entered into, everybody was prophesying it's going to be 2020 vision, you know, and all these things. And I'll tell you what, we have vision of something. I don't know uh, what that is, but it's, cl it's getting clearer and clearer that uh, it's not good in the earth. <laughs> it's not good, but God is good. Amen. I want you to say that out loud. It may not be good in the earth, but God is good. And see, that never changes. That is all the time. God is always good. So even though things in the earth are not good, and things in the economy are not good. God is good. He is with us, and he is giving us a gift this week uh, and in this season um, to look to him to take us through whatever is in front of us, and he's going to teach us on how to do this. How do we rest in times of stress? How do we stand and fight by worshiping God when the crisis in your life shows no signs of stopping? How do we do that? The Lord is bringing us to his word and showing us how to do it. He's going to do it through the Holy Spirit in you. And so the Bible says that there was a force that was moving towards Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah, and they were afraid. But within the same verse, the Bible says that he was... Uh, calling upon the Lord God before fear even let it take a hold of him. Amen, right? So before fear could take root in him, he called on the Lord. You cannot help, there's an old saying, you can't help a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. Right, who's ever heard that before? Right, you can't stop it from flying over, but you can stop it from making a nest. So fear will come. You cannot help that. I want to say that again. I said it last week. You will get into doubt. You will get into worry. You will get into fear. Do not let the devil condemn you for what he's doing to you. But we must not let those things take root. When they come, we have to properly deal with them. And how do we do that? Well, don't Start going through 10 steps and 7 steps and 4 steps and 3 steps. It's one step. Call on the Lord. All right. All these other, you know, do this, this, and that. I know that there are lots of great tips and all kinds of things you could do in the natural, but all those things are only a temporary fix. We have one answer, which is just to call on him. Now, it may not feel like it's instantly changed, but God is the only answer. Amen. 
Sometimes, like, drugs can give you an instant answer, right, in the natural, right? Or, or a high. Maybe your high is beating people up. I mean, everybody's got a different high, but, you know, someone gets a high from drama. They get on the phone, and, man, it just gives them a rush, gives them a high. That's a, a false sense of the situation kind of getting figured out, right, and, and you feel better. And then you call on the Lord, you don't feel anything, All right? Who's been there? You can't go by your natural human feelings. He is the only answer, no matter what you think or feel. And I know that that sounds like, uh, you know, me bashing this idea over our heads all the time, but he is the only way, and it's the only answer. The devil's going to highlight your feelings in that moment because he wants you to feel forsaken by God. Why? So that then you go do all the other false highs, right? That's why he wants you to feel like, well, Jesus is the answer, maybe partly, but not right here, not in this situation, or not at all. But the Bible says that they were people of God here in Judah, and they called on him, and they sought him, they fasted, they prayed, they humbled themselves. That's a, that's a formula. You know, I'm going to write a four-step book. It's going to call Humble Yourself, Pray, and Fast. Right? That's going to do great. It's going to be a number one bestseller. I don't think so. Four steps to getting rich. Number one bestseller. Four steps to humbling yourself, fasting and praying, depriving yourself of food and of pleasure. Yep, that's going to do great. But is the answer, isn't it? We cannot fight the answer. All you're doing is fighting yourself. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, that when they did this, I love this, verse 14 says, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Wow. You put yourself in that position, I'm telling you, God, I said it last week, but God, he doesn't have a kryptonite, all right? He's not Superman. You know, he's so much greater than any type of comic creation. We can't even understand how big and great he is. But just to use an analogy, if there was a kryptonite to God, it's humility. If you humble yourself and pray, if you seek God, if you call on him, God moves I promise you, I've seen it in my life a thousand times, and I've seen it in his word over and over and over again. Jesus was moved, right? He was, they, they couldn't figure him out because he's moving amongst the worst of the worst and having dinner with them and loving them. And then the religious are judging him and pointing their finger at him and missing him. And Jesus, they can't figure it out. So Jesus says, well, let me give you it in a parable. He said there was one man who realized that he was a sinner. So he's beating his chest saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. And the man next to him says, at least I'm not like that guy. And he says just plainly, who is the one who is righteous? Who's, who's going to get an answer from the Lord? If you don't deal with self and deal with the issues, which is, I mean, that's what humility is. Whatever the issue is, whether it's internal or a situation coming at you, it's always to humble yourself and say, God, this battle is yours. The thing that we miss is that we think that we, when we, become Christians, that we need to become super Christians, and that suddenly we're going to have the strength to fight through our issues. 
And it sounds close, and yet it's a lie from the devil. It is so close, and yet you know what it does? It creates pride. And the Bible says pride comes before the fall. We must realize that we were weak before him, and we are weak after him. Now, you know how many people would say, you don't speak like that. Don't even say that. But you need to acknowledge it, because you know what it does? It just diffuses the enemy. If you went, as soon as you recognize your weakness, but, I, but don't finish the sentence without saying, but my God's not weak. My flesh is weak, but he is strong. Amen. I may be weak. You know what, devil? This is actually making an impact on me, your trial in my life right now. I'm, don't be afraid to acknowledge the situation. only thing you're doing without acknowledging it is just getting into denial. But my God is greater. And I can't stand against this, but he can. Amen? We're going to get into that. I'm going to just mention for a moment uh, some things he, in, in, in a moment, some encouragement that God stands with us in those moments. Amen? And so it says... The Spirit of the Lord came on. When you get your heart like that, God cannot resist a humbling, praying, fasting people. God moves every time. Even if the devil told you nothing happened in your fast, that is a lie. You fast, God moves. You pray, God moves. You humble yourself, God moves. Amen. And you need to just believe that now and just get the lie and just throw it out. He said, listen, verse 15, this is what the Lord says. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. I'm going to move quickly now because I'm breezing through some verses here. By this mighty armor, uh, army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. We're going to go over some things I did last week, but I'm going to get deeper. And like I said, I got some more to say beyond that. But I want you to hear this again. The battle is not yours. Say the battle is not mine. This battle I'm in is not mine. This person I'm fighting for is not mine. You know what? People get weird about this. These children I'm raising are not mine. The spouse that I have is not mine. All these things are blessings from the Lord, and simultaneously, all the enemy's things, right? Curses from him, Right? I've got the Lord in between. The Lord's the only way that I can properly raise these children, properly love this spouse. And the same thing goes, the Lord is the only way that I can stand against this situation. That's it. There is no other answer. The battle is not yours, but God's. It just takes the pressure off, doesn't it? Because now the answer is not happening. It's not coming. You're like, God, when are you going to do it? Why is it not happening? If we get to this place where we acknowledge that it's his, then it's his timing. If it's his battle, then why am I trying to micromanage him? Why am I trying to micromanage the situation? Now I'm going to get to it. It's the very next thing. We have a job to do in the meantime, but I just want to say this first. One of the immense benefits of knowing our God is that it's not just a ticket to heaven, right? God is not just a ticket to paradise. It's not just a religious experience, but he is so close to us. The Bible calls him our ever-present help 
That means that he is always there. The battle you're in is not yours, but God's. You might be the one facing it, but God is the one that's going to fight it. I want to say that again. You might be the one facing it, but God is going to fight it, and he's going to work that situation out. The Bible tells us to do is stand. Everybody say this out loud. God fights. I stand. God's going to do the fighting. I'm going to do the standing. Tomorrow, verse 16, march out against them. See, this is still the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord was, I heard you, and I have, a, I have some insight for you. I have some wisdom, and I have uh, some promise, and I have some encouragement, and I have direction. Who loves a word like that? A word that tells you exactly what to do, how to do it, and what he's going to do. I love those words. And we better not doubt him when he gives us a word that's so powerful like that. And who's had some words like that? I have, and I know we have. We have the word for that matter, which has told us completely that he's for us. He's not against us. He has prepared a place for us. He loves us. He sent the Holy Spirit to us. He said, it's good that I go so that he comes and so on. We have no excuse to doubt him. I'm not saying we don't at times, but we need to take that and put it in its place because God has firmly established us in his kingdom and put us in Christ at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. What is your position as a believer? What is our position as a believer? See, the devil loves when we fight. He loves when we fight. Because fighting just wears you out, doesn't it? Who's ever fought in a situation? And you're just fighting in the situation. You're fighting, fighting, fighting. Then the Lord makes you go and apologize later anyway. What a waste. And embarrassing. <laughs> Come on, it's true. We're laughing because you know it's true and we've all been there. We're not called to fight. Now, I'm not talking about if someone tries to you know, touch someone in your family and you stop them with force. That's not what it, I'm talking about, all right? Let's not just put a blanket statement on, you know, on, on any, this is what people do. They get weird because they say, oh, we're not called to fight. All right, let's bring some context into here. We are not called to fight spiritual battles in our own strength and in ourselves. And what we think we're doing sometimes is we think that we're actually doing spiritual warfare, but what we're actually doing is just wearing ourselves out. It's the Lord's battle. It's the Lord's fight. And what we must do is very simple. We do the same thing we did to get the word of the Lord. <laughs> it's the same exact thing. By standing, you know what I'm doing? I'm saying, Lord... I agree with your word, I trust in you, and I believe you're going to do what you said. That's it. When I choose to stand, now, we have to understand something. You guys know the story, so I'm just going to say it. It's not some sort of hidden ending here to the story in Second Chronicles. You know what happens. The enemy is still coming. When he tells them to stand, the enemy is still marching. 
So this is what standing means. It means that even though the report has not changed, even though the bills are still sitting on your desk, even though you feel the same way, Lord, I still believe you. And I trust you. You ready? Here's one second later. Nothing's changed. Five minutes later, nothing has changed. In the natural, standing means when nothing has changed, but you still trust God anyway. That's what it means to stand. And so our job is to trust God no matter what. That's it. And I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They said, we're going to stand. You know, they didn't go in there like, ah, I'm going to kill you in Jesus' name. See, some, we take it out of context, don't we? When he says, speak in Jesus' name, you are representing Jesus. That's what that means. You have his name as power. The Lord was with them, and they said, Jesus, pre-Christ, actually shows up in the fire with them, but they said, God is going to be here with us, and you may kill this body, but you cannot kill us. Amen? The enemy may take some things from you. He may strike a blow left and right, and it feels like this battle's never going to end sometimes. And yet, we must just keep trusting God. That's what it means to stand. It is the only thing that he's asked us to do. Just trust him. Just trust him. Now, we're going to get into this, but I'm just going to say it anyway, just because I don't want to miss it. I don't think I'm going to miss it, but I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm excited to preach it. When they began to worship, it was not an added response to their standing, but it was an external response to the internal stand. It was proof that they had already decided, what does your word say? What is your word? What did you direct us? What did you call us to? And when they began to worship, it was not forced. It came so natural from the internal place where they just said, I believe you. And so the Bible says, take your stand, stand still, watch the Lord's victory. Amen. Amen. It says, he is with you, all people of Judah and Jerusalem, and do not be afraid or, dis do not be afraid or discouraged. Uh, go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. So they had to go out against the enemy, and yet they were not going to do the fighting. And this is what I'm trying to say. We carry the name of Jesus we stand against the enemy representing Jesus. Now, sometimes you cannot just point your finger at the situations and point your finger at COVID and just say, in the name of Jesus, I demand you to go. I'm not saying you can't or don't. I'm just saying that that might not do it. It doesn't mean that there's not power in his name. Amen. Come on. But then you're just going to get discouraged when it didn't go. We're almost three years in, and I'm like, three years in? Lots of people have pointed their finger at it and cast it out, and it hasn't gone yet. That doesn't mean there wasn't power in the name of Jesus. It means that God is greater than time. He is greater than the situation. It will be just a blip in time in the future. It will be. 
right? People didn't even know about the Spanish flu. I mean, only some people even talked about it until then. Let's talk about all the other plagues and flus again. All right, it does become just history. But right now we're in it. So you speak the name of Jesus, you point your finger, that's fine. But listen, there is something greater than just pointing your finger and saying the name of Jesus because the devil's just going to get you discouraged when it doesn't change instantly. Even Jesus tells the one, go wash in the water seven times. Right? Why? Isn't Jesus capable of doing it instantly? And my point is, the devil's going to get you discouraged sometimes because it's not as quick or in the way you thought it would be. And what walking and carrying the authority of the name of Jesus is more than just instantaneous snapping your finger like a magic wand. It's going to be, I'm speaking the name of Jesus. I'm still pointing at this thing and calling it and telling it to go. But there is something greater, which is that Christ in me I'm going to trust him even if the situation doesn't change in the way, shape, or form that I expected. Amen. I think that's going to help some people because sometimes we get discouraged. We think the Lord hasn't, you know, there's no power. It's almost like it's a magic wand. There's no power in his name. I thought it would do it. There's, a, there's so much going on in the spiritual world that we don't understand. There are things inside of you that he's still dealing with. There's things in the situation around you that God is dealing with. Amen? If you were able just to point your finger and say, in the name of Jesus, you could say, in the name of Jesus, I demand that Ferrari in my driveway. Why not? He said, ask anything in my name. People take 1 John. People skip 1 John, and all they remember is John. 1 John says, ask anything according to my will and it will be done for you. So we got to take the will of God and apply it to the ask anything in my name part of God. That's the chap that's the book of John and 1 John and sandwich them together for the full picture which is Adam it's not that I can't do that for you but if I do that it might take your heart and turn it away from me. So would you rather that I just respond to my name or that I give you my will for your life which is that I'm still doing and working and shaping things in this season in a way you can't even understand. And I heard your prayer. I heard your cry. The devil still quivered when you said my name, but it's not going to happen quite the way you think. That doesn't mean it's not going to happen, and it doesn't mean there's not power in my name, but I need you just to stand and watch and wait and let me do it. And that's truly representing Christ and speaking in his name. Amen. That's the trueness of it. Otherwise, we just get superstitious and we get weird. Or then, you know, what people do is they go, well, it must have just gone away, right? That's what, there's literally groups of Christianity that just say, well, all that must have been done away with, with the apostles. That's all they can reason because it doesn't happen quickly enough for them. So they just go, well, it just must not be real at all. And that's, that's ridiculous. That's not true either who has had incredible miracles done by the Lord. To say he's not a miracle-working God today, that he did it once, and then he'll, you know, he did it with Elijah, and then he did it with Jesus. They come up with these weird theories. God is a supernatural God, amen. He is still supernatural. Nothing has changed. The Bible says, actually, the standing here is not the only time. Do you know that God gives the same exact directive to Moses and the people in Egypt? 
almost word for word. I'll just read quickly here from Exodus 14, chapter 13. He's leading them out. And the Bible says, this is interesting. I thought this was so interesting. In Exodus chapter 13, God leads them. It says he leads them in a way that would, heading towards the wilderness, that would keep their hearts safe. God actually wanted to protect their hearts. It says, so that they wouldn't turn back. It says in Exodus 13, you don't need to put it on the screen, but it says in Exodus 13, verse 17, if, they might, if they're faced with battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So in Exodus chapter 13, it says that God was gracious. He led them in a certain way to actually protect them. And you know what we call this in Christianity? The honeymoon stage. When God first frees you, you know what he does? He's like, I don't, well, you know, everything is just easy, man. You've just prayed. Bam! I just prayed. I, I didn't even finish praying. The Lord did this for me, and he's so kind to me and did this and that and blah, blah, blah. It's so fast. It's because the Lord sees a tender baby. You're a child, right? And, you know, an adult can wait. You know, I'm hungry. Okay, well, dinner's at 6. Don't eat the cookies. going to spoil your dinner. Never spoiled my dinner, though. But a child starts crying. You know, you let them cry for a little while. But eventually, child, the child might actually genuinely be hungry. Like, like a baby, you know. When they're hungry, they're hungry. You know, you can't just wait for the clock. So we mature in Christ, amen? Thank God that we mature. So then he starts dealing with us differently. But initially, you know, you cry and he's there. Bam. Adult cries, all right, time to get over it. And the Bible says that he did it on purpose, protects him. But then in chapter 14, he does something interesting. It says in verse 1 that he, he says to, to Moses, into verse 2, tell the Israelites to turn back, and I want you to camp by the Red Sea. And it says in verse 3 that the Israelites were confused. Who's ever been confused at the plan of God and the path of God? I thought you freed me. I thought everything was good. I don't understand. It says that they were confused. Everybody say, sometimes God's people can be confused. The Bible says, then Pharaoh will think the Israelites are confused. They are trapped in the wilderness. And once again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart and will chase after them. I have planned this. He says, I planned this. I get ahead of myself. It says it down here. They cried out. They were panicked in verse 10. They were panicked. They were crying to the Lord. It says, I planned this, but then it says in verse 10, as Pharaoh approached the people of Israel and looked up, they panicked. They were confused. Why are we here? They said, the Egyptians, it says, they're overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord, though. The same exact response, it says, they cried out to the Lord. But Moses told the people, verse 13, don't be afraid, just stand still. Everybody say, stand still and watch the Lord rescue us. And it says that the Egyptians you see today, they'll never be seen again. And verse 14, the same thing. He tells them to stand, and then he says, the Lord himself will fight for you just stay calm. 
Don't you hate when someone just says, just stay calm? Right? No one likes that. Just stay calm. Uh, easy to say. Easy for you to say. You're not dealing with what I'm dealing with. I love that. I love how the NLT says it. Just stay calm. The Lord's going to fight for you. Egypt, remember Egypt? Remember the force that's held you captive for 400 years? Remember how they used to beat your backs and you like you just got rescued? Just stay calm. They're coming back. You know, you're sitting. There's the Red Sea. There's no way through it. And here's their, their military force. And now they look a lot angrier. But just stay calm. But he says, verse 18, when my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory and know that I am the Lord. What is this all about? What is everything that God is doing about? What is it always about? It is always about God's glory. It is always about God showing himself strong in the earth, showing him, showing the world who he is. Amen. This is what it's always about. And God was going to use Israel, just as sometimes he uses you, to be the conduit, right? That's the pathway, unfortunately, the one going through the stuff so that God can show his glory. And it says, when the people saw the mighty power that the Lord, verse 31, had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before him, and they put their faith in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So the Bible says that God tells him in Egypt to do the same exact thing that Jehoshaphat does. And you know what's interesting is I wonder, did Jehoshaphat, did he remember this story? Did he just do what he knew to do? Or was he, was he also encouraged, well, God has done this before. And I would say that if you read the previous chapters, they went all over the land spreading the word. If you read Jehoshaphat before chapter 20, they had just finished spreading the word throughout the entire nation. And he set up worship and he set up so the word could be read. I think it was very fresh and they would have known God has done this before. And so I want to say this. When God tells you to stand, standing is weakness. You are not fighting, you're standing. It looks weak. And remember David against Goliath. Just like they stood there against the Red Sea, it certainly looked weak to the Egyptians coming into them, wasn't it? It would have looked very weak. Goliath stood there at David and he looked at him and thought, you're so weak. The devil looks at you and says, you're so weak. But this is what the enemy does not realize when he says that to you. What Goliath didn't realize was that there was a big, big God, a much bigger giant, standing with David. Amen. And when Goliath said, what are you going to do? David didn't respond with his own words. He said, this is what God is going to do. Amen. So standing is weakness, but also standing is strong. You are weak in the natural. You're weak to everybody else, right? Christians look weak. We look like, man, you can't even uh, do anything. You're so stuck. You can't go anywhere. You can't have any fun as Christians, right? Meanwhile, the world doesn't realize that they're not really having fun, are they? 
Come on, post-world. Post-world testimonies, please. It's not fun, is it? All it is is heartache and just devastation. And meanwhile, it looks so fun. Sin is pleasurable for a season, but right, its end comes. and end is destruction. But standing, even though it looks weak, is strength. Standing is trusting God. You are not standing, this is very important, you are not standing in defiance of the enemy. I'm going to say that again. When we stand, you cannot stand against the enemy. David could not stand against Goliath. Let's just be honest. This guy had been fighting since he was born. David had never fought a battle in his life that we know of. He was out tending the sheep, but he had fought other battles. God had trained him. But he was a young man. He had a sling, and and here's Goliath, a mighty warrior. No one in the entire nation would face him, and yet... He's taken down by a stone. A small stone strikes his forehead. God is with us. You are not standing in defiance of the enemy. You are standing in honor of God. When you stand, I'm standing to give honor to God. The enemy cannot penetrate that. I'm never going to match him. I'm never going to face him. You cannot outsmart him. You can't outwit him. You think you're going to like be smarter than him in your brain? Every time he speaks a lie to you, that you're going to say something back and have this weird conversation going on in your brain? I told you last week, just shut up. I'm not even going to have this conversation. You know what it's going to be? I worship you, Lord. I honor you, God. I just honor you, God. I'm not going to—I hear it. But I, I hear the taunts, but God, your God, I'm going to stand in honor of you, and that defies the enemy. Verse 18, as we come down to the end here of this, Then King Jehoshaphat bowed low with his face to the ground, and all the people of Jerusalem did the same, and they worshiped the Lord. They praised the Lord. Verse 19 says, and this is Dawn's favorite verse right now, right? With a loud shout. The Bible says, that it was with a very loud shout. It turned, they had heard the word of the Lord, and they were confirmed and told them to stand. And so it turns into worship. And I believe that the Lord spoke so clearly to me as I was putting this together, that the reason it was so loud, the reason it was loud is because it tells them If you believe in the Lord, you'll be able to stand firm. If you believe in the prophets, you will succeed. So when they began to sing and praise, verse 22, it says, the armies and everyone, they all begin to disperse. They fight amongst themselves. And we read it last week. The enemy is disbanded. They're all gone forever. The reason that they were able to shout, the reason they were able to worship, It was not just a tool. They did not think up a clever way to fight the enemy. If we come up with clever tactics to stop the enemy, you will fail. What we must do is very simple. We must get to the place where we just trust God. If you trust God, worship comes naturally. If you try to worship God so that you'll trust God, you've got it backwards. Uh, Now, I'm not telling you that you don't. Let's be clear here. When your mind is telling you, I just want to lay down, 
you worship anyway, all right? That's not a battle. Where, that's not about you believing or not, okay? This is what I want to be clear. That's where you do worship anyway. But what I'm trying to say is we cannot just come into churches and start doing worship services and have the, think that the enemy is bowing his knee. If your life is not changing, if you're not submitted to God, if you don't trust him with anything in your life, then you singing a song is no different than what he says in Mark chapter 5. He says, they honor me with lips, but their hearts are far from me. He says, their worship is a farce, it's a show, it's fake, it's a sham. All that singing songs and raising your voice, I mean, you can listen to the radio, you can have music on nonstop, you can pretend, you can go through the motions of worship, it's not going to do anything. What their worship was and why it was so loud is because they believed him that much. When you get to that place, they stood not in defiance, but in honor. They stood in praise. They knew God Here's an enemy, here's my worry, here's my doubts, here's the situation, but I know that 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 I know, I want to keep saying it because I believe it that much right now, that you're going to come through and you're going to do it. And that causes a shout. That'll cause worship to come out of you. What is worship? It's praise and thanks and glorying. Why do we do that? You only do that when you recognize how little you are and how big he is. We could go religious route and say, he's God, I'm man, he deserves it, you worship anyway. You could go that route, but the power that's happening here is that it was not religious. It wasn't just because, yes, he does deserve it, whether you want to or not, he does, but because they actually believed him. And when you get to that place where you believe him like that, Worship comes flowing out of you. Amen. And it's so much more powerful than us being like, uh, the enemy's attacking us. Let's put on a song. Amen. I'm not saying we do that. But I put that song on, and I'm going to say, Lord, I believe it. You want, you want to sing the words of the song? That's fine. We, that's what I'm telling you. The Lord gave us this. The Lord gave it to Dawn in that book. The Lord starts doing the quotes. This is from the Lord. But what I want us to do is when you put those songs on, I want you to believe what those words say. It's not the song. It's not a clever, catchy tune that the devil's like, ooh, the Pied Piper's playing. You need to dance around. Oh, the song's playing. Red Rocks worship, Hell Song worship, whatever. Like he's not dancing around certain bands, right? It's that the words are so powerful because they're attached to my belief. When I say, Lord's going to give me a victory, amen, it's because I believe it. And I'm telling you, when you believe God, there is nothing and no one that can stand against Christ. Amen. We believe that. Everything is under his feet. And when I link with him, that's what worship is. If you want to go do your own study, I, maybe some of you have heard it before, but the very first act of worship was when Abraham took Isaac to sacrifice him. What does that mean? Worship really means I trust you. So much so that I don't need anything or anyone, and I am willing to give anything to you or anyone to you, so much so to prove that you're God, I'm a human being, and you've chose to love, you've you made the choice to love me 
and to give me Christ and to give me your blood, but I don't deserve any of that. And because of all of that, I just want to say thank you and praise you and glorify you. And I'm telling you, you start doing that in the, in the spirit, things start rumbling. This is the thing. You cannot muster up faith, right? We need mustard seed faith. Amen. We've preached on this a long time ago. You cannot muster up belief. You get to the place where it's not forced, it's not religion, it's not actions, but I say, Lord, I'm going to put this song on, and I'm going to praise to it because I believe it. Because I believe, Lord God, what your word says. Amen. I believe you're going to come through. It's complete abandonment of self, complete surrender. It's letting go of the control. If you say, okay, Lord, I'm going to stand and I'm going to worship you, but I'm still in control, then you're not worshiping yet. It is complete surrender. If you're not willing to let go, if you're not willing to let him have every single area of your life, then he looks at that worship and says, I don't want it. That may sound harsh, but God does not want blemished sacrifices. You go to the beginning of the Bible to the end, Christ finally becomes that perfect sacrifice. But if I say, Lord, I love you on Sunday, but then when something comes and he says, okay, I saw the worry, I saw the doubt in you, that's okay, I love you, give it to me, and we refuse to give it to him, all of our worship is negated. It is not, its power is gone. It must be that our life represents what we say, and we say, Lord, I said it, and now I'm going to believe it. I've praised it on my lips and from my voice. Now my life is going to be a representation of that. Amen. We could get deeper. We could go further. We've run out of time. So we just thank you, Lord Jesus, for this word. I thank you, God, that is so powerful. Your word is so powerful. There is so much life in it. And I thank you, Lord, for breakthrough right now. We are just going to pray in the name of Jesus, Lord. That name is so powerful. Your word says that every knee will bow. Every knee will bow at the name of Jesus. I thank you, Lord. And every tongue confess, whether they choose to or not, there will come a day where they confess that Jesus is Lord. And so, Lord, we just once again, we bring every single issue, every single person we're believing for, this nation, Lord, we bring it before you, and we say, Lord, Jesus, have mercy and have grace. Lord, look at the situation that we're in. And Lord, do not look away, Lord. Look at the situation we're in. Thank you, Lord. And see how the enemy is coming. But I know that I know that I know, Lord, that you're able. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That every enemy, it will bow its knee. Every force of hell that has gathered against us, gathered against this church, gathered against our families, gathered against our bodies in the name of Jesus, they will not go no further because we, Lord God, believe you. It's not the power of my mouth, but it's the power of Christ within me coming out of me that I can do that. I pray in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, bodies are going to be free, minds set free, health and peace and joy and hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise God.